Hey everybody, how's it going? This is Hub, and welcome back to another episode of Tighten Up the Defense, a podcast that would likely benefit from a tagline. As I believe I just mentioned, my name's Hub, and I hope you're having a fine whenever the heck it is you end up listening to this. Me? I'm doing okay. I've been thinking about sloths a lot lately. See, Lisa and I have been watching the uh, Great British Bake Off lately, and so I like to sometimes think of which words are more fun to say with the British pronunciation. And I gotta say, up near the top of the list is sloth. Sloth is just a lot of fun to say. Right up there with aluminium. Aluminium. Anyway, despite how fun it is to say with a British pronunciation, sloth is a kind of bullshit name for that animal. I mean, I'm not going to dispute the fact that they're slow-moving, but naming them after one of the seven deadly sins seems weirdly punitive. I mean, it's not their fault they got a slow metabolism. Plus, if we're going to start naming animals after sins, then I need someone to explain to me why a goose isn't called a wrath. Or vice versa. Really works either way. Like, oh no, a flock of wrath! I'm pretty sure the plural would still be wrath. Or, the sight of that injustice fills me with goose. Or, and he smote him down, for he was a gooseful god. Anyway, these are the changes I propose if I am ever put in charge of words. Which frankly is not a position I covet. Because from what I've seen, the governing body associated with words, the word association, is a real shit show. Just a bunch of people saying stuff that reminds them of other stuff. No thank you. That last bit is brought to you by the time I was in high school and I accidentally rented Spalding Gray's Swimming to Cambodia because I thought it was a stand-up comedy special. It wasn't. Now, without any further ado, let's, uh, do this. Today's synopsis rhyme is submitted by Mark Paglia. Spilling potion on the floor, Steve says, Wong, can you mop this? I'd clean it up myself, you see, but I'm listening to Hub's synopsis. Synopsis. Thanks, Mark. Defenders, number 106. April, 1982. The War to End All Wars. Written by J.M. DeMatteis. Drotted by Don Perlin. Inked by Sal Trapiani. And Rick Magar. And Jack Abel. And Al Milgram. Letterded by Shelley Lefferman. Colorded by George Russos. And edited by Al Milgram. Defensive lineup. Nighthawk. Doctor Strange. Valkyrie. Hellcat. Gargoyle. Beast. Son of Satan. Wong. Captain America. And Daredevil. Previously in the Defenders. Back in the 60s when he was in college, Kyle Richmond, a.k.a. Nighthawk, used to be an irresponsible asshole. He still is an irresponsible asshole, but also, he used to be. One night, Kyle went out drunk driving. He ran into a tree, and his girlfriend Mindy died in the accident. Only it turned out, she didn't. Unbeknownst to Kyle, Mindy was only paralyzed in the car crash, but Kyle's asshole dad paid her to go away and pretend she was dead, because 1. He thought the guilt would make it easier for him to manipulate his wayward son, 
B, Mindy was poor and he didn't want Kyle dating her in the first place, and thirdly, he was an asshole. Mindy took the money and went away, but invested the majority of her payoff in a complicated scheme to get revenge on Kyle, who she quite reasonably blamed for her paralysis. Over the course of a decade, Mindy plotted a bizarre, unnecessarily complicated scheme, which involved buying her old college campus, acquiring and reprogramming old Doombots from Latveria, dressing said Doombots up like hippies, and arming the robo-hippies with laser guitars and razor-sharp picket signs. Hooray! Her preparations finally complete, Mindy lured Kyle to the campus and sicked her hippie bots on him. Things looked bad for the billionaire to Elbert enthusiast, but with the aid of Spider-Man, Kyle escaped Mindy's death trap and confronted her. Coming face to face with the object of her obsession after all these years proved too much for Mindy's fragile psyche. She collapsed in tears and proclaimed that she didn't want to kill Kyle anymore and that she was probably still in love with him. Kyle reacted to this by having Mindy committed to a mental institution. Which, to be fair, is not an unreasonable response to someone declaring their love for Kyle. A few months later, Kyle was struck down by a mysterious psychic attack, which left the affluent avian aficionado physically weakened to the point of paralysis. Except at night when he was still as strong as two strong men. His diurnal paralysis freed up a bit of time in Kyle's schedule, so he decided to finally visit Mindy at her new home in the ominously named sanitarium, Carrie White Acres. Upon arrival, Kyle was given a tour of the facility by the head of the hospital, one Dr. August Masters, who seemed like a real creep. Something seemed off, so later that night, Kyle came back as Nighthawk to investigate. It turned out that Carrie Whiteacres was actually being run by a secret branch of the government called the CIB, which was experimenting on mental patients in an attempt to harness their psychic powers. August Masters explained that Mindy was the most powerful psychic he had encountered, and that an early experiment had resulted in her accidentally sending out the psychic blast that paralyzed Kyle. Whoops! Masters tried to convince Kyle that the government performing involuntary scientific experiments on the inmates of a mental asylum was pretty rad, but Kyle disagreed, so Masters ordered Mindy to attack him. Mindy started to comply, but then remembered that she maybe loved Kyle and decided to blow up the building instead. Masters was pretty miffed about that, but was confident that his government status would protect him from any repercussions. Kyle thanked Mindy for again saving his life by again declining to murder him. Then he had her put in a different mental institution. Which, to be fair, is not an unreasonable reaction to someone declining to kill Kyle. An indeterminate amount of comic book time later, Kyle hosted a small party to celebrate the fact that he wasn't going to serve any jail time for the gross financial malfeasance and tax evasion that he had just been convicted of. Hooray? He was just about to cut into the cake when a bunch of guys claiming to work for August Masters at the CID busted in and declared their intention to take Kyle into custody. Valkyrie, Gargoyle, and Hellcat objected to this plan, as did Kyle's lawyer, Matt Murdock, aka Daredevil, and Milton Rosenblum. So the purported CID agents deployed knockout gas and dragged off an unconscious Kyle, Val, Gargoyle, and Hellcat, leaving the KO'd lawyers behind. In other Defenders news, after briefly attempting to embrace an evil lifestyle, Damon Hellstrom, aka Son of Satan, decided he wanted to be a good guy and not go into the family business after all. Hooray! 
Also, Hank McCoy, aka The Beast, has been hanging around with the gang ever since Steven Damon helped him rescue his girlfriend Vera from a sentient gem who made a fake butler poison her. Gadzooks! That's a lot of backstory! Is there anything else we need to know? Yup. Because previously in Captain America number 268, a bunch of jerks dressed like Roman centurions dragged Kyle out of the unfurnished storage closet where he, Val, Patsy, and Isaac had been snoozing. They brought him to their boss, August Masters, who explained that he didn't actually work for the government after all, but he used to. And he was still experimenting on psychics. He and his mysterious superior, known only as The Professor, wanted to launch an all-out telepathic assault on the population of Russia. To that end, he had kidnapped Mindy and a bunch of other telepaths. But Mindy was still too freaked out to do any psychicking, and the only thing that seemed to chill her out was thinking about her asshole ex-boyfriend. So Masters kidnapped Kyle in hopes that his presence would have a calming effect on her. Kyle was pretty peeved about this, but Masters said that if the perturbed plutocrat didn't play along, his still slumbering super buddies would be slaughtered. So Kyle agreed to play along. Meanwhile, Steve Rogers, a.k.a. Captain America, was out on a date with his girlfriend, Bernie Rosenthal. When Bernie blurted out that she loved him, Cap responded by asking if she wanted to go get some seafood, so the date ended a bit early. At least he didn't have her committed to a sanitarium. Shortly thereafter, Cap was sent a telepathic SOS from Ursula Richards and Philip Le Guin, some psychics he had encountered in a previous adventure. He headed to S.H.I.E.L.D. headquarters and prevailed upon them to help him locate the source of the psychic distress call he had just received. It turned out that Philip and Ursula were being held in a secret base in the Colorado Rockies. Cap slapped on a mask over his usual mask to disguise himself as a drifter and made his way to the secluded base. Apparently wearing a latex mask over a chainmail cowl is less of an impenetrable disguise than a trench coat and fedora because Cap was soon discovered. Some guards dressed as Roman centurions brought the star-spangled shield slinger to their leader, August Masters. It turned out Ursula and Philip were being held at the same facility as Mindy, Kyle, and the other captive defenders. August told Cap that he was a big fan of his work and gave him the standard bad guy, We're not so different, you and I, speech, best delivered by Ben Gazzara in Roadhouse, and asked Cap to join his team. Captain America declined because that speech didn't even work for Ben Gazzara, and let's face it, August Masters is no Ben Gazzara. Reluctantly, Masters ordered the Centurions to throw Captain America in jail. But just then, an alarm started going off. Turned out Phil and Ursula had sensed that their buddy was in trouble, and used their mental powers to wake up Valkyrie, Gargoyle, and Hellcat so that they could escape and lend Steve a hand. The heroes teamed up, beat up all of the Centurions, let all the psychics out of their cells, and were about to escape. Hooray! While the other heroes led the abducted telepaths towards the exit, Captain America went looking for August Masters so he could beat him up. But when Cap finally tracked down the slippery scumbag, August Masters activated a self-destruct device which would destroy the entire facility, killing everyone inside unless he deactivated it. The timer was set to go off in four minutes, and it would take Cap's allies at least six minutes to make it outside. The wing-headed warrior did some quick mental arithmetic, and soon reached the conclusion that four is a smaller number than six. Even though the base's destruction could save millions of Russians, 
Cap couldn't bring himself to sacrifice the lives of the innocent psychics and heroes. Reluctantly, the super soldier surrendered and ordered his allies to follow suit. Masters deactivated the self-destruct device and had the assorted defenders and telepaths taken back into custody. As he wheeled Mindy back to her room, Kyle wished aloud that he had a way of contacting Doctor Strange. Without fully understanding why, Mindy started focusing her psychic powers and thinking real hard at a certain Greenwich Village brownstone. Gadzooks! Will our heroes figure out a way to foil August Master's plans without sacrificing innocent lives? Will Steve Strange do a better job disguising himself than Steve Rogers did? And why are all the evil guards dressed like Roman centurions? Stay tuned to find out. Okay, so... Nope. Not really. And just because. Dr. Stephen Strange is relaxing in his sanctum sanctimonious, when without warning or context, thoughts and images of his distressed non-teammates leap unbidden into his mind. Steve yells at the thoughts to get out of his brain, because that's where thoughts about Steve are supposed to go. The intrusive, non-Steve-centric notions don't seem to want to go anywhere, though, and Steve collapses on the floor in pain. Fortunately, Wong hears the commotion from down the hall, and rushes in to check on his ailing employer. When he finds the supine sorcerer on the floor, Wong picks him up and carries him downstairs to an easy chair in the den. He then coaxes an uncharacteristically grateful Steve back to consciousness with a combination of massage and powerful herbal remedies. When he is sufficiently revived, Steve is like, Wong, are Kyle, Valkyrie, Isaac, Patsy, and Captain America me? Wong is like, uh, no. Steve is like, then why was I just thinking about them? Is this that embassy thing you're always talking about? It was very scary. Wong is like, empathy? No, I don't think that's very plausible. Psychic attack? Steve is like, yes, that's probably it. I'd better astrally summon some superheroes to look into this. Son of Satan is about to return to his professorial job at Georgetown after spending a few months in hell with his dad when he receives Steve's astral summons. He hops in his flying chariot and tells his snake-butted horses to fly him to New York. When he arrives at the Sanctum, Steve is like, Damon, thank you for coming. You seem a lot chiller than I remember. Damon is like, Yes, well, after spending time in hell, academia, and Arizona, I find I'm happy to be just about anywhere else. Zing. Take that, hell. Meanwhile, across town, Beast 2 has received Steve's spectral summons. He bids a fond farewell to his girlfriend Vera and scampers out of their apartment and over to the Sanctum. He's nearly there when a crimson figure hurdles into his path, forcing him to leap out of the way to avoid a collision. Beast starts to get all huffy until he looks up and recognizes that the guy who almost crashed into him is Daredevil, a.k.a. Matt Murdock. Hi, Daredevil! The sightless Scarlet superhero apologizes for his carelessness and explains that he was hurrying over to Steve's place to consult the Sorcerer Supreme about a matter most urgent. Beast is like, Oh, did you get the astral alert as well? DD is like, Astral what now? But before Beast has a chance to fill the horned hero in, the door swings open and Steve beckons them inside. 
Daredevil is like, Hi, Steve. Sorry to interrupt, but I've got the feeling that something involving the Defenders happened to me recently, and I can't remember exactly what it was. You didn't erase my memories recently by any chance, did you? Steve is like, Not that I recall, but I wouldn't rule it out as a possibility. I've been very busy lately. Would you like me to use the Eye of Agamotto to pop inside your noodle and see what's going on? It might provide some valuable exposition. I, I mean, insight. Daredevil says that would be fine, so Steve mystically hops into Matt's brain and starts mucking about. He soon uncovers a hazy memory of the phony G-men busting into Kyle's party and abducting Kyle, Val, Patsy, and Isaac. Matt woke up the next morning, presumably on the floor of the restaurant where the party had been held, with no recollection of the previous evening. Well, I think we've all been there. Steve pops out of Matt's head and fills the gang in on what he saw there. He diplomatically leaves out the part about how Daredevil's secret identity is Matt Murdock, which is nice of him, although to be fair, Matt's probably either already told them what it is, or he will soon. When it comes to maintaining a secret identity, Daredevil's a real nighthawk. Steve reckons that the abduction of his pals is probably linked in some way to the psychic bombardment he experienced earlier, so he uses a spell to locate the secluded base where the message emanated from, figuring that the other defenders are probably being held there. Then they all pile into Damon's chariot and have those snake-butted horses fly them to Colorado. Unaware that a quartet of crime fighters is headed his way, August Masters has some dudes dressed like Roman centurions bring Kyle into the Hidden Fortress's control room so that he can gloat at him. Masters is like, Hey Kyle, remember all the shitty stuff I've done that just got recapped in the previously in section? Kyle is like, Yeah. Masters is like, Good, and don't you forget it. Hey, have I told you yet that my plan is to make the psychics use their powers to destroy the minds of every man, woman, and child in the USSR so that America can rule the world? Kyle is like, I don't think you've said it explicitly, but you've heavily implied that. Kids too, huh? Masters is like, oh yeah, totally. Hey, I forget, did I give you the we're not so different, you and I, speech yet? Kyle is like, yeah, a couple of times. And let me tell you, you are no Ben Gazzara. Damn right he's not. This conversation takes a little while, because as you might have noticed, it was a pretty long, previously in, section this week. So Masters had a lot of exposition to recap. By the time they finish talking, Steve and the others have landed on the mountain above the base. Son of Satan uses his magic pitchfork to try to blast a hole into the fortress, but to no avail. Beast surmises that the roof of the building must be made of solid adamantium. Seriously? Dang. I mean, a chair made of that stuff cost Kyle a few billion. I don't even want to know what making a whole building out of it would cost. I mean, I kind of want to know, but not enough to actually do the math on it. Regardless, it looks like the gang isn't going to be able to bust in. Nor has their attempted ingress gone unnoticed. A few minutes after Damon started blasting away at the mountain, four guards dressed like Roman centurions emerge from a hidden tunnel to see what all of the hullabaloo is about. Steve casts a spell of invisibility on himself and his compatriots. Then he turns to them and whispers, Hmm, four of them, four of us. I can disguise my appearance with magic. Are you guys thinking what I'm thinking? I'm willing to bet that they weren't, because apparently 
What Steve was thinking was, Let's wait until they stop looking for us, then I'll use a spell to disguise us as some different Roman centurions, and we'll go inside with them and hope they don't notice that there are twice as many of them as there were a few minutes ago. Huh. Amazingly, this plan, based on assuming that the enemy either has no short-term memory or is incapable of counting any higher than four, actually works. For a few minutes, anyway. Once they get inside, the leader of the scouting party, a centurion named Brodsky, reports to August Masters and is like, Okay, so it's pretty clear that somebody was out there, but we couldn't find them. In unrelated news, I think we came in with more centurions than we went out with. But I can't be sure, though. There were four of us when we went out there, and now there are eight of us. Is eight more than four? Masters assures Brodsky that eight is in fact more than four, and suggests that he do a roll call. Uh-oh. Fortunately, Beast has a plan. Sort of. Brodsky begins his roll call, and when he calls out the name Kowalski, Hank steps forward and says, here. When the actual Kowalski objects, Hank feigns confusion, pretends to be having an identity crisis, then has Steve dispense with his disguise entirely. The sudden appearance of a bounding blue-furred creature in their midst throws the Centurions into a state of panic, creating enough of a distraction that Steve, Matt, and Damon are able to sneak away while Beast leaps about and generally wreaks havoc. Steve wanders into a room where a bunch of Centurions are seated at computer terminals. A Centurion named Brazowski angrily demands that Steve leave, as he doesn't have security clearance to be in there. Steve attempts to mesmerize Brazowski, but while he's doing that, one of the other guys is like, Hey, looks like that guy's trying to mesmerize Brazowski. He sneaks up behind Steve and bops him on the back of the head with a blackjack, knocking the conspicuous conjurer unconscious. Damn it, Steve! Meanwhile, Son of Satan has been in a nearby hallway trying to blend in. He sees Kyle and attempts to talk to him, but Kyle seems totally zonked out, and doesn't recognize the devil-dadded defender. In Kyle's defense, Damon is disguised as a centurion, and Kyle's probably never seen him wearing a shirt before, let alone dressed up as a Roman soldier. That ends up being a moot point, though, because as soon as Steve gets conked out, Damon's disguise does as well, and he's back to his old bare-chested, pentagram-tattooed, Dracula-caped self. Kyle still doesn't seem to recognize him. Huh. The guards, however, do recognize Son of Satan and attack him. So he beats the shit out of them. Hooray! Nearby, Daredevil and the Beast have independently stumbled across a room where the Defenders and Captain America are being held. The heroes are sealed inside of some kind of high-tech psychic-proof snow globe. While Beast tries to puzzle out how to free his captive comrades, Daredevil does his best to keep the ancient Roman-attired guards at bay. While his teammates are thus occupied, a still-dazed-looking Kyle walks into the control room, where Steve is still passed out on the floor. The guards are like, Oh, it's just Kyle. Kyle, get the fuck out of here. You fucking suck. Tough but fair. Kyle is like, Shut up. And zaps two laser beams out of his forehead, knocking them both out. Wait, he can do that? I thought he just had the strength of two strong men. Is shooting laser beams out of their foreheads something that two strong men can do? I had no idea. 
August Masters bursts into the room and is like, What the fuck are you doing, Kyle? Do you want to get your pals murdered? Because this is how you get your pals murdered. Kyle is like, What I'm doing is entering the code to activate the self-destruct sequence into this computer. And now I've done it, so fuck you. Masters is like, Wah huh? But I'm the only one who knows that code. Kyle is like, Nope. See, all the psychics you kidnapped have combined their powers and have taken up residence in my brain. They knew the code because, well, they're psychic. They aren't crazy about this whole kill all the Russians plan, and they want to make sure that nobody ever tries to use them to do something like that again. So, they told me to blow this whole place up. At this point, Steve starts waking up, and is like, Kyle? Kyle, what's happening? I just had more of those thoughts that weren't about me, and I hate it. Is this that entropy thing that Wong was talking about? Kyle is like, No, Steve. Don't worry. It's not empathy. It was just the psychics again. Steve is like, Oh, good. Not to criticize, but when Wong woke me up, he massaged me and gave me some, uh, powerful herbs, if you catch my meaning. I don't suppose... Kyle is like, Sorry, Steve. There's no time for that. I need you to find the other defenders in Captain America and teleport them out of here. Can you do that? Steve is like, Well, the last time we fought, Satan said that I really shouldn't be teleporting because it weakens the fabric of reality. But I suppose I can make an exception, just this once. Only, how are you going to get out, Kyle? Kyle is like, I'm not. I'm staying here with the psychics and the bad guys to make sure that the blowing up goes properly. The psychics seem to think that would be for the best. Steve is like, Well now that's just silly. Come on, Kyle, let's go. Kyle is like, Sorry, Steve, but this is something I have to do for some reason. You've been a good friend, and I love you. Goodbye. Kyle and the psychics living in his head shove Steve out of the room with a telekinetic blast and then seal the door. Steve struggles in vain to get back in so he can rescue his friend, but to no avail. Finally, he's left with no choice but to do as Kyle asks. He concentrates with all his might and teleports Son of Satan, Valkyrie, Daredevil, Captain America, Gargoyle, Hellcat, and the Beast to safety, just seconds before the base explodes. He tries to bring Kyle and the psychics with him, but they resist the spell. Captain America looks around, dazed, and is like, uh, thanks, Steve, but where are all the psychics I came here to save? Patsy is like, yeah, and where's Kyle? Steve just shakes his head sadly. With a tear in his eye, he mutters forlornly, Oh, Kyle. The End Dang. And joining me once again is my good-for-many-things brother, Corey. Corey, how's it going? Hey, it's going fine. How are you? I'm doing okay. Yeah? Yeah. I have no way to elaborate on that. That's fine. Sometimes it's okay to just give a short one. Well, yeah. Okay. <laughs> it feels weird. Yeah. But well, you, could, you could just make something up. All right. I flew a sandwich to the moon. That's not even the thing. That's just words, man. I, I had nothing going into that sentence. And 
I've forgotten how to talk. Well, good thing we just have this podcast to do. Enjoy, <laughs> listeners! <laughs> Wait, I know what we can talk about. Huh. Corey, let's talk about this comic book we read. Okay. Corey, what did you think of this comic? I find myself in the strange position of, after joking about, and sometimes not joking about, wanting Nighthawk not to be around, feeling conflicted that he's maybe not going to be around. I know what you mean. I feel kind of bad about how much shit we've talked about him. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I meant it all. Oh, sure. And I feel like it would be disingenuous to pretend otherwise. That being said, yeah, Kyle is dead. I am holding out that it's one of those switcheroo things. This being the uh, day and age of the information superhighway. That's what people call the internet still, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. I had to stop myself from like reading ahead and going down that rabbit hole of answering the easy questions. I'm trying to approach reading these comics as if I was consuming them from the newsstand. Right. Well, I'm going to spoil it for you. Is that okay? Is he really dead? Well, no. Wait, but... is his brain back in a bowl of drugs? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't think he was a good enough person that he goes to the afterlife where your brain gets put in a bowl of drugs. Oh. That's heaven, right? Uh, <laughs> it's, you know, I guess I guess depends on the drugs. Well, sure. Yeah. And the bowl? Yeah. You don't want a, like a spiky bowl. Or just like a really dirty old bowl. Oh, it'd be terrible. Yeah, you'd just be floating around being like, oh, this is gross. Like, you'd be stuck. Yeah, and you would be like, I don't have any eyeballs. Like, I, 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 I can just feel, I can tell that it's gross. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But, no, so that is not his deal. But guess how long he stays dead for? Like, in human years or, like, Marvel <laughs> comic time years? In our Earth years, as we are both human men from Earth, from this Earth. Uh, in our Earth years, how, how many of those do you think he is dead for? Um, I don't know, 10? 16. What? Yeah, he's dead until 1998. We were not the only people that didn't like Kyle Richmond. <laughs> Apparently not. And I think the reason he stayed dead might be because of public sentiment, honestly. Because in the letters column, there is a letter writer who said some things about some growth that they felt Kyle had done recently. And the response from the editor was something along the lines of, well, we'll have to see if this is his epitaph in light of what happened in this issue. So it seems like they were maybe hedging their bets, and maybe people were like, yeah, good. Don't miss him. Yeah. That being said, I'm glad he went out as a hero, kind of. I don't understand why it was necessary for him to stay in that place. The explanation seemed like nonsense to me. So I almost read it like there wasn't a ton of free will involved. Mm -hmm. He was like, I have to do this heroic thing, but also these ESPers are making me stay. Yeah, but why? And why did they have to stay? Like, it seems like he pushed the buttons to do the self-destruct of the base. Mm -hmm. That was going to happen in two minutes. Mm -hmm. We had been over the fact before that it takes three minutes to shut down the self-destruct. We went over that in the last Captain America issue. So August Masters has no way of canceling the self-destruct of this base. But Kyle's like, me and the psychics talked it over and, uh, you know, 
I need to stay here to just make sure. Yeah. Well, and Steve's like, no, guys, like, I can just teleport you all out. It's totally cool. And they're like, no, man, <laughs> I'm staying. It's. I think, you know what it is? I think Kyle and all those ESPers, after all the shit they went through, were in one of those... You know when you get in a funk and somebody's like, hey, let's go get sushi, and you're like, no, I'm just going to sit on my couch and like watch old episodes of Night Court or something. Yeah. But no, that's too good. That doesn't make you enough of a martyr. I'm just going to stay here and watch old episodes of... Um... Corey, have there ever been any bad TV shows? I'm uh, sure. It's, it's hard to think of them on the spot. Yeah. We're just such positive, upbeat people. It's weird. It is very odd that I cannot think of a single TV show that I think is bad right now. <laughs> There's so many. Can you think of one? Um, Dark Angel? No, that was fun. I don't it remember it. Good. Yeah. Three's Company was kind of a rough watch for me anyway. It wasn't specifically bad, but it, it made me very uncomfortable. I was sure Jack Tripper was going to get in trouble. It has to be melancholy, though. Your friends want to take you out for sushi, and you're just going to be a real martyr. Yeah, you're going to stay home and watch a thing that you don't like that is sad. It's probably like something on Masterpiece Theater that you don't like. Oh, Maybe yeah. it's good TV, but yeah. you're just watching it anyway. Lady Swerthington's Trip to the Dressmaker. Yeah. A 14-part series. Yeah. I'm, I'm Alastair Cook. And I'm only halfway through, you guys, so sorry. <laughs> Maybe that is what Kyle was thinking. <laughs> Maybe. There definitely is an element of unnecessary martyrdom to his action. My kind of pet theory is Maybe Mindy's a little still miffed at him for the whole killing her in a drunk driving accident, paralyzing her for 12 years. You know, maybe she's still a little bit touchy about that, and she's like, you know what? Nah, I think Kyle's gonna stay right here. Maybe her first plan wasn't convoluted and complicated enough with the whole hippies and everything, <laughs> and this is, like, plan B. Maybe she's just embarrassed about the whole hippie doombot thing mm -hmm. and now she's like well let's just erase this whole thing it is a weird scenario but yeah for the next 16 years anyway r.i.p kyle feels weird it is weird even fictional death has such complicated conflicting emotions surrounding it there is an impulse to say nice things about someone after they pass even if they aren't true I mean, I understand it. I'm certainly not immune to that impulse, but it is always weird for me when, like, when a famous person dies and everybody says a ton of nice shit about them, and then somebody's like, you know, actually, here's how that person was awful specifically to me. And everybody seems to always just swarm on that person and be like, have some respect. Oh, I noticed you didn't bring it up when they were still alive. It's like, well, everybody wasn't talking about them constantly then. Mm -hmm. Like, you brought up the subject, and then I have thoughts on it. That's how conversation works. That's how brains work, you know? Mm -hmm. But no more Kyle. No more Kyle. Picking the worst defender is going to be harder. <laughs> it is. Well, and now the Devil Slayer is gone, too. Do you think they bring back Jack Norris? <laughs> I hope not. 
I hope not, too. Fingers crossed. So, I guess we get a sort of closure on Kyle's career as a defender. One thing that we don't get any closure on is why there were Roman Centurion costumes. I was hoping there would maybe be a sentence or two explaining that. Like, maybe even August Masters could just be like, always liked ancient Rome. Mm-hmm. Nope. Nothing. We do get to see some Roman Centurions in business casual Centurion wear. Mm-hmm. Where they're just wearing the toga part. That was kind of fun. Yeah. Just some office centurions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He was even like a fancy one, like a senator. Which guy? The guy in the computer room. Kowalski? What was up with the... There was like five Polish-sounding names. Well, there were a couple that I think were like references to specific people. Like, one of them was named Ween. I think that might have been like Len, Len Ween. Ween. Mm-hmm. And Berger, I think Karen Berger would have just started as an editor at DC at that point. And I think DeMatteis was still doing some work over there. Who is uh, Broski, Brodsky, and Kowalski? Kowalski is, of course, Killer Kowalski, master the of the claw hole. The claw. Right. Broski is, you know, that's just what they call each other. You know, like, hey, Broski. <laughs> still wearing that uh, hat with all the feathers on it? You know it, Broski. And then, uh,. Brozowski is just a guy who I guess is using a brainwash. That was one of the funnier parts and kind of in an odd way satisfying parts of this book was how bad at planning Steve is at really every step of the book. And frankly, that is when Steve strange works best as a character for me is when he's super good at all of the big cosmic stuff but when it comes down to anything practical or logistical he is just flailing wildly and is like well this is fine this is how you little people do things probably right it does illustrate all the different types of intelligence that there are in the world Mm -hmm. i've been around some very smart people that, you know, they have difficulty having a conversation, mm-hmm. eating a sandwich, <laughs> counting to eight. <laughs> <laughs> that was the one that got me, I think, the hardest was when they were like, oh, so we'll just dress ourselves as legionnaires and go back into the building with these other four guys. And nobody said anything. <laughs> it was like, oh, I thought there were only four of us. Now there's eight. Oh, well. Like, I assumed there was more to his plan than that, but that really did seem to be where his planning began and ended, was, I can use my powers to make us dressed like them. Yeah, I thought, oh, he must have surely put a spell of not noticing on these people. No, or, like, I was sure they were gonna do the old, well, knock them out and take their costumes thing. Mm. And, like, I had to read back to make sure that wasn't what had happened, because that's such a common trope. And, you know, for a reason... (laughs) Yeah, probably effective. Yeah, probably more effective than just being like, no one will notice us if we wear these outfits. It did lead to some very funny moments. I think my favorite was when he is hypnotizing Brozowski Mm -hmm. to let him do computer stuff, Mm -hmm. which I'm sure he doesn't know how to do. And one of Brozowski's compatriots is just like, it's like he's hypnotizing that guy. (laughs) Hits him in the head with a blackjack, knocks him out. Mm Mm-hmm. Whole plan goes immediately higgledy-piggledy, even more than it already had. 
I liked the improvising that Beast was able to do. I thought that was pretty fun. I gotta say, overall, Beast was a fucking delight in this book. Man, if I'm ever gonna be in a high-stakes, high-stress situation, I want this iteration of Beast along for the ride. He's effective and funny. And fun! And yeah, his constant wisecracks and, like, banter is charming. He's not being a fucking gross creep like Beast Boy. (laughs) He's just Beast. And I want him to, like, do a tutorial for other, I don't know, furry guys who like to crack wise and have Beast as part of their name. Sure, yeah, they could use some guidance, I guess. He's so charming that I don't even mind his constant external processing. Like, we don't have the category of show and tell. Right. But, boy, if we did, pretty much every panel he's in, he's like, oh, I'll just walk down this street. I sure wish I had a hot dog. You know, like, he's, like, stream of conscious. Yeah, but it works for him and it works for his character. And and I think all the more so when he points out that, yes, I always did want to be a thespian. And he does his big, like, overacting scene as the Roman as part of the distraction. That was super fun. His conversation with Vera, it's like, what a cute couple. Mm -hmm. That scene of domesticity... I like that they're getting along. I think in Marvel Comics specifically, there is a tendency to make characters squabble constantly as a sign of realism. And I like that they're just like, no, they're happy, they're in love. I like Beast switching between using big words and using slang. I think that's fun. Mm-hmm. Yes, good good job, the Beast. Yeah, I uh, was prompted to listen to... Um... Is it Dancing Cheek to Cheek by yes. Louis Armstrong and Ella Fitzgerald? Yeah, I listened I'm to that today heaven. because of this comic book. Yeah, because he's singing that, and uh-huh. it's adorable. Yep. Is this the first time that Daredevil and Son of Satan have met? Mm. I don't think they've met in a Defenders comic book before, have they? I cannot recall. I can't either. I feel like it is. It's got to be kind of uncomfortable for Son of Satan. To just be able to look over and just be like, seriously? You're, you're wearing that? Mm-hmm. You're dressed up like a cartoon version of my dad? Constantly? Little horns and whatnot. Like, maybe you could lean into the dare part of the daredevil thing. Like, put some, I don't know, like, risk-taking. Like a, a, a dice thing. Mm-hmm. Or, I don't know, like a, a pot leaf with a line through it. You could do the other <laughs> kind of dare. I don't think they had that yet. Oh, well, you can start it. Start a trend. Mm-hmm. But uh, that has to be uncomfortable for Son of Satan. Son of Satan's whole situation with his dad is more than a little bit complicated. Because even when you discount the fact that we just learned and he doesn't remember that his dad's also God and Jesus, Mm -hmm. and four other the devils, Mm -hmm. you have a situation where Son of Satan hates his dad. His dad is his nemesis, but he is completely defined by his father. Like, to the point where his name is Son of Satan. Mm -hmm. Seems like he could just go by a different nickname. Or, I don't know, this is gonna sound crazy, but put on a shirt. Like, he has that pentagram tattooed on his chest. People don't need to know where he gets his powers from. He could... Put some tin foil over that pitchfork, make it into a shovel. Like, still shoot stuff out of it. Sure. Get uh, a little uh, hard hat. Yeah. Call himself, like, I don't know, Bob the Builder. 
or the shoveler from uh, oh, Mystery Man. Yeah, but like, it seems like there are ways around that. But the most obvious one would just be like, hey, if you hate your dad that much, stop calling yourself son of Satan and put on a shirt. Yeah, just go by your name. Damon. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, maybe drop the Hellstrom part. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't. And you also see him swear an oath at one point in this by Satan's hooves. We've talked about that before, people swearing by their dad. Mm-hmm. That would be if I went around, like, I saw something surprising, and I was like, by Bruce's toes! <laughs> <laughs> That'd be weird! Yeah, don't do that. No, I wasn't planning on it. Okay. But, uh, point is, son of Satan's a weird guy. Yeah, he could distance himself, I think, from the old man. Mm-hmm. But I feel like he is, must just constantly be looking over at Daredevil and just being like, I'm sorry. I know we don't know each other. Are you making fun of me? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Daredevil can't see what he looks like, so he, that would just be so awkward all around. Mm-hmm. Daredevil also, I mean, we know that he is canonically very bad at protecting his secret identity, but that he lets a telepath just walk around in his mind. Good on Steve for having the discretion to not tell everybody, but gotta be a little bit more careful than that, Daredevil. You well, could just tell him. Well, that was the thing, I think. Didn't he have difficulty accessing because he was aghast? I think he did initially, but as Steve was going through the expositional walkthrough in his mind, one of the stages was, and then your hyper-awareness let you know that something was off about the situation and you started to piece together what had happened. Mm. Hi there, Editor Hub here in the future. As I was writing the synopsis for this, I realized that Daredevil actually couldn't remember any of that shit. And Steve did have to use his magic to help him recover the memory. So, I was wrong, and Corey was right. Corey, if you're listening, you might want to save that as your ringtone. And I'll give you, let's say, 400 Corey points. And so I think by that time, Daredevil does know what happened. So they could have just maybe had a conversation instead of letting Steve wait around in your mind. Like, you could even just have the conversation that'd be like, hey, can you use your magic powers to see if I'm telling the truth? Man, I would have to be really, really interested in recalling something that was buried in my mind to let somebody poke around in there. No psychics. Not now. Not ever. It's like, I remember the Spanish word for shoelaces but (laughs) hey steve (laughs) i can see that being tempting if you have that aphasia like if steve had been here as much as i hate psychics i maybe would have actually been tempted to be like hey steve what's a tv show i hate (laughs) that must have been a very powerful and very specific hypnocast that those federal agents had It not only knocked out Daredevil's memory, but created a new set of memories for him of that evening when we saw that they just left him in that restaurant. Or maybe it did just wipe him out and Daredevil parties more than we think. Mm. He has super sensitive senses. Is he like a super lightweight in terms of alcohol? Mm. Would that work that way? Would, like, a thimble full of whiskey just get him fucking blotto? No. I don't think so. No, I think it would just taste bad, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, then, I don't know. I guess he just parties harder than we think. Mm Mm-hmm. Because, yeah, he wakes up on the floor of a restaurant and is like, 
Yeah, seems normal. <laughs> I guess it was the party. Gosh. Yeah. Went big last night. Oof. Yep. Do you remember the time when I, I woke up on a couch in a closed bar? With a with sign. A, it wasn't a sign. It was a note taped to my forehead that said, please do not wake up, Hub. He is very sleepy. Mm-hmm. I was very sleepy. You had help. That's true. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you are a real uh, daredevil. I liked the weird psychic-proof snow globe that August Masters trapped the Defenders in. Mm -hmm. I think it was cool-looking. does kind of bring up the question, if they had a psychic-proof snow globe to keep prisoners in, why did they keep them in an unfurnished storage room in the last issue? Yeah, maybe they only had one, and it wasn't ready yet? Hmm. Maybe they had some other superheroes swing by earlier, and then they used their hypno-gas and got rid of them? Gosh, I don't know. It could just be poor planning. I would believe that. I mean, whatever else this organization is, it is a bureaucracy. So, I guess I can see some things slipping through the cracks. It did take them quite a bit of time to notice the difference between four and eight. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I guess I buy that. They just forgot they had that snow globe. Yeah, and I feel like the zealotry that August Masters exhibits in this, they use that to paint him as less of a smart guy than they did before. It seems as though it has created some blind spots for him, certainly. Although, I think it is effective as a character choice. When he says about killing every person in Russia that it would be a bloodless war, like. I guess technically, but they'd still be dead. Yeah, or at least heavily. Like, <laughs> have, have their minds... lobotomized or versus, like, <laughs> yeah. a little bit? I think lobotomized is kind oh, of a binary. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> a little bit pregnant. But, yeah, it says it would utterly destroy their minds. So, I gotta believe, if they aren't dead initially, they would be dead within a week. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't think you're going to be deploying Red Cross there to put them all on life support. Basically, you are killing millions and millions of people. Technically, that might be bloodless. But that's like, there's, you know, a bloodless war. We just poisoned everybody. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or dropped a, uh, a weapon of mass destruction of some sort that just, you know, they just... Boop. Yep. But having him take the stance that, like, no, you, you guys, I'm being totally reasonable. You get what I'm doing here. It's We're all on the same team. We're not so different, you and I. I think that is effective, and I, I think paints him as more of a monster, not less of one. Oh, yeah, no, he's creepy as fuck. Mm -hmm. The artwork in this issue was kind of uneven. And I, there's a reason for that. It was an all-hands-on-deck inking situation. You had Sal Trapiani, Rick Magar, Jack Abel, and Al Milgram all working together to do the inks on this. Overall, there was a lot of art in it that I really liked. There were a couple of odd choices in it that really stood out to me. There were a number of close-ups of Kyle's face where there was a very specific style of, like, actor or catalog model makeup i feel like in the 70s where 
I think they tried to go out of their way to make dudes' lips as colorless as possible, hmm. like to make them the same color as the rest of their face. It's weird. It's like Kyle is wearing lip liner and then white lipstick. It's an odd kind of throwback fashion for him, and I found it really distracting. Yeah, yeah. The artwork in particular, the way that the faces were handled, seemed unusual mm -hmm. to me. Also with Kyle, there was a lot of effort, I feel like, put into making him look freaked out. Yeah. And it was effective, but... Also, it made him look very, very stoned. Yeah, and maybe that is why he reminded me of 70s actors and catalog <laughs> models. Could be. Also, it's a minor quibble, but he's a superhero, and he's not a superhero I've been particularly fond of for the most part, but I would have liked it if he could have gone out wearing his costume. You know? It seems kind of anticlimactic. Maybe that was on purpose, but... I don't know, man. I would have liked him to be wearing his Nighthawk duds. Yeah, me too. Like we said, it's just, it's a weird feeling. Guy rubbed me the wrong way pretty much mm -hmm. every comic he's been in, but now I'm just like, fuck. I felt bad for Steve, too. Oh, Kyle. Yeah, I did too. He did a very bad job throughout this issue. <laughs> but so uh, bad. <laughs> and that makes me kind of like him more. <laughs> but at the very end of the book, when... Captain America, and I think maybe his only line of dialogue in the whole book, says, Doctor, what in heaven's name happened? The people we came here to rescue. Patsy's like, and Kyle, Doc, where's Kyle? Single tear rolls down Steve's cheek, and then at last he speaks. Oh, Kyle. <laughs> in my mind, I translated that. I think that it has been cleaned up by the censors, but I think what he was really saying was, fucking kyle like we've said fucking kyle so mm -hmm. many times but now my feelings on it are fucking kyle like affectionately a little bit but also that fucking guy he got me again uh, yeah strangely melancholy hmm i wish captain america had a little more to do in this book he was so good last time yeah and I mean, it makes sense. In the Captain America book, the focus would be more on him. And in this one, the focus would be more on the Defenders. But I don't know. Like, he's an interesting character. DeMatteis knows how to write him. I would have liked to have seen a little bit more out of him. Yeah. I am still hung up on his awkwardness of the I love you <laughs> from the last issue. Yeah. Like, we could have seen him have an awkward reaction when Kyle says, Goodbye, Doc. You were a good friend. And I. Love you for that. Uh, do you guys want to go get some fish? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's a missed opportunity. Yeah, it really is. Mm. So, Damon Hellstrom has to have tenure, right? He goes right back to his job at Georgetown after going and living in hell for three months. <laughs> and he's still employed as a professor. Oh gosh, I didn't read it that he was going back to work. Georgetown is a university. Yeah. Not a town. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe he lost his job. I like to think that he's tenured, and until he got tenure, he always wore a shirt. You know, showed up on time, There's went to all of his be... classes, signed up for committees and stuff like that. And then after he got tenure immediately, he's like, oh, by the way. 
You can start calling me Son of Satan, and I won't be needing this. And just incinerates his shirt in a trash can. That's got to be satisfying. But tenure isn't like, I mean, there's got to be clauses or something where if you incinerate your shirt, <laughs> you forfeit your tenure. I don't know. I have a very cartoonish understanding of academia. But in my mind, once you got tenure, that's that. You don't even need to come to work anymore. No, you can do whatever, man. God, I want tenure. That sounds pretty good. Yeah, I don't want to be a professor. I don't want anything to do with academia, but uh, I want tenure. You know what? You got it. Yeah! <laughs> Foosh! Georgetown, here we come. Won't be needing this anymore. Just going to show up shirtless and be like, no, it's cool. <laughs> I got tenure. Nice. Hey, Corey, you got tenure too. Sweet! Oh, it feels good. Yeah. It is a little chilly in here now, though. Uh-huh. Oh, well. Yeah. Worth it. Yep. Any idea who the professor is? I just assumed it had been explained and I wasn't paying attention, <laughs> but I'm glad that that's not the case. No, we had it, I think, hinted at in the Captain America one. I think he maybe mentioned it then. He mentions the professor, who I guess is in charge of this thing at one point in this issue. I wonder if that's a reveal that we'll get later or if that's just going to be a dropped plot line. I guess it depends if the professor was in the bunker that got blown up. Yeah. I mean, he could have been out running some errands. Could be Professor X. I mean, he's a professor who likes psychics. Maybe they were trying to hint at that. He wasn't, like, canonically genocidal, though, right? Eh, it depends what day you catch him on. Oh. Like, Professor X has done some super fucked up shit. Like killing all the people in Russia fucked up? I think that level, maybe. Really? Yeah. Oh, damn. I mean, Professor X is kind of a jerk. Yeah, I get that. I, I didn't realize it was on the go. There are levels between jerk and genocidal maniac. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I think depending on what day you catch Charlie X on, you might run up against that. Damn. Well, was there anything else you wanted to talk about before we get into the minutiae? Just one last little bit. It's a Steve Strange thing when he summons everybody. Mm -hmm. Have you ever gone to somebody's house and they just open the door when you show up like they're waiting, looking through the people or something? Mm -hmm. And you're like, if these weren't family members, that would be pretty creepy. <laughs> or something. Yeah, no, I do know that feeling. I think it was funny also the extent to which both Beast and Daredevil were just in awe of an automatically opening door. Like, I know it's 1982, but I think they had those in supermarkets by then. Mm -hmm. Do they also have that reaction when they go to the fucking 7-Eleven? When the doors start swinging open by themselves, you know he's in. Like, do they say that about the clerk at 7-Eleven? Maybe I just think Steve's there. <laughs> Maybe. And I can see Steve playing that up. Like, just being like, I'm just omnipresent. I'm everywhere. Mm. Where there was only one set of footprints, that was where I was carrying you. <laughs> to the 7-Eleven. <laughs> Cup of noodles. Hmm? Pretty good. <laughs> Especially after those strong herbs have passed your lips. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we've had the strong Jamaican incense. And now we have powerful Tibetan tea. Mm -hmm. I feel like Wong's moved to uh, edibles. He probably goes back and forth. 
No, I mean for medicating Steve. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. You know, Steve's getting older and he probably uh, doesn't want to constantly be inhaling from the brazier mm. all the time. Oh, sure. You know, I mean, when you're a younger mage, then your friends will convince you that the coughing means that it's working more effectively because it's opening up the capillaries to the... Uh, Jamaican incense. Right. Uh, whereas, you know, once you get a little bit older, you're like, nah, I, I don't want to do that to my lungs. I'll instead take this as some uh, Tibetan tea. No, it makes uh, perfect sense. It's uh, the idea that you uh, once enjoyed a three-foot-tall incense dispenser seems silly. Yeah, yeah. You're like, I don't need to have an incense dispenser so large that I need someone else to light it for me. Yeah, or a step stool to <laughs> access it. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to turn a three-liter bottle into a gravity brazier. Uh, no, no, I mean, that's the sink is for dishes. Yes. <laughs> Rick, would you like to sing us into the minutiae? Oh, shit, uh, this is a rhetorical question, Rick. We got minutia. It's not the biggest part, it's just minutia. Like Cory eating farts, we got minutia. Time to sweat the small stuff. Thanks, Rick. Oh, very unorthodox. You okay? Yeah, okay. yeah. A little shook, but you know what? We need to learn to do different things now that Kyle isn't with us anymore. We all take on different responsibilities. Mm, I don't like the sound of that. Okay. Well, Corey, some things don't change. Hmm. Every issue of a Defender's comic has a best defender and a worst offender. In this issue, who'd you have as your best defender and who'd you have as your worst offender? For reasons mentioned previously, Beast was my favorite guy mm -hmm. in you, this comic. You can't spell Beast without best. Oh, yeah. yeah. I just made that up. That's he pretty could, good. He can start using that as a slogan. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you know this, but I'm a real ad wizard. Good job. I agree that Beast did a very, very good job in this issue. However, I did have a different choice. I'm going to quote Doctor Strange on this. Thank you, Wong. You have proved once more that the man who serves with a pure and open heart is the greatest master of all. So, Wong. I mean, Steve said it. He's the greatest master of all. Can't argue with that. Unorthodox. Has Wong been available to us before? I mean, he's yeah. not, like, officially a defender, is he? Well, th that's the thing about the defenders. There are no official defenders. Anybody who acts on the defender's side is a defender. So, uh, he's a defender, and in this instance, he is the best one. I will allow it, and I enjoy it. Good job, Wong. Yeah, and good job, Steve, recognizing that. Although I did have to reread that sentence because the way that I read it the first time was, you have proved once more that a man who serves with a pure and open heart serves the greatest master of all. Me! <laughs> yup. Who has two thumbs and is the greatest master of all? It's me. Hint. Mm-hmm. Hint. Long, I'm the greatest. Conversely, for my worst offender... For reasons we have discussed, I have Steve. I also had Steve. I initially was thinking, and it felt weird because he's dead, Kyle, because, you know, what the people in the, um, the CI, whatever letter organization were doing is really fucking awful. Yeah, I'm, but, I'm with you on that, Corey. I but, agree. 
not necessarily every like there was probably janitors and other people that worked in that building that got blown yes with everybody else however i guess that wasn't really in kyle's power to stop because he was getting esp'd by mindy and everybody yeah he did a bad job i think like we don't know to what extent he was in control he certainly didn't seem to question that argument it didn't appear as though he was a puppet for the psychics, but we don't know. They're psychics. If they were Jerichoing him around, they probably wouldn't say that they were. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was it was tough to get a read on how much of it was his, like, I gotta go down with the ship, and mm-hmm. by the way, it's fine to blow up all the Centurions, even the guys that aren't feeling it. <laughs> yeah, It's just like a job for them. Yeah, I am okay with killing guys who accept jobs doing genocide. <laughs> I'm just saying, maybe it, not everybody in that building knew what was going on. And I think they it. did. It really did seem like they were all true believers, you know? That makes it easier to stomach, that's for sure. Yeah. So, okay. Steve. Corey, let's have us a battle of the band names! In this issue, what words in the text do you think would make the best band name? So we've discussed before the liberties that we can take with the band names. I don't recall if we've discussed existing band names. So if we add an article, (laughs) that's probably not good. I don't think that's enough of a difference. What were you thinking? I really like the idea of the new Mellow, (laughs) but there is already a new Mellow. Yeah, I think that counts. (laughs) I, I I don't think you can do that. However... If you add an exciting adjective like searing mm. to Miami's R&B funk and soul ensemble soul fire, you have searing soul fire. Searing soul fire is pretty which good. Which I think is pretty good and doesn't appear to be an actual band. I think soul fire is also a record by, what's the, the, the guy that was on The Sopranos, the E Street guitar guy? Van Sant? Uh, Robbie Van Sant. Steve. Steve, Steve Van Zandt. Steve. Yeah. Who's what Robbie was... Van Zandt? I'm thinking of Rob Van Winkle. I'm thinking of Vanilla Ice, Corey. <laughs> oh, no. So, Searing Soulfire. Um, you got me thinking about Vanilla Ice now. I'm sorry. You remember when uh, my band opened for him? Uh-huh. That was weird. Yeah. All right, back to... <laughs> <laughs> what kind of not awful music does Searing Soulfire play? Um, hmm. I mean, in the name, you do have soul. So, uh, but the searing fire seems more aggressive than you would go with most soul. Mm -hmm. So I like the idea of it being some kind of like a soul metal hybrid. I think that sounds actually pretty good. I would, I would enjoy hearing that. It would be really hard to pull that off, but if you could, it would be interesting, I guess. I could see it being done. I think it could work. Like... Land of a Thousand Dances (laughs) with a death metal (laughs) growl. The only version of Land of a Thousand Dances I know is... I know I've heard the real version of it, but when I think of it, the version that I think of is the one that in the early 80s all the WWF wrestlers did together. What? And it was so bad. We are going to watch this video afterwards. <laughs> I will maybe put an audio drop from it in, but oh, no. it is really bad. The 
I d- didn't know that was a thing. Yeah. But if this podcast has taught me nothing else, it's that now I know that that was a thing. <laughs> All right. So the searing soul fire of soulful metal. Yeah. Like soul singer singing over metal. I think that would sound really good. I don't know. But um, yeah, let's go with that. Okay. I actually only had the one, and I don't know what it is, but I like these two words together, and they came up together in it. I don't know if this is anything. It's probably not anything. Closet Ham? You know, I wrote down Closet Ham, too. Not as a band name, but just because (laughs) it cracked me up that Beast said that. Yeah, Beast says that he was a Closet Ham, and I was like, Closet Ham? That sounds delicious. It's like probably like a prosciutto. Or a guy that pretends to be serious. Yeah, and yeah. Well, no, that was how he a- meant actually it. Actually, funny. But like, what do you? What kind of music do you think Closet Ham would be if it was a band? I'm thinking like maybe a glam Fat Boys. No, I think it's got to be one of those bands that's like a rock band, but like does their own sort of. It's like a, one like of those a Captain names. Beefheart type thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah I think maybe that not is what as it like, is. like not as sixties sounding, but that kind of like avant garde like. Like, Frank Zappa's, like, one of my biggest influences. Mm. Yeah, I don't have a great thing of what Closet Ham is, but it was the only word combination that really leapt out to me in the book. So, I had one other. Yeah? And that is Child of the Media. Oh, Child of the Media is good. It sounded, like, pretty bandy. Yeah, Child of the Media, I can see them being, like, I don't know, like a Gern Blanston type thing. Or like, um... Neuroses. Yeah. They used to have projections of stuff. Mm Mm-hmm. I can see them being something like, fuck, what's that band that had the dyspepsia? That album, they didn't have the disease. (laughs) Um, It's like everybody in the band. Negative Land. That's who I'm thinking of. So I can see Child of the Media being like Negative Land. Oh, yeah. I think that'd be pretty good. Okay. I think that might be my choice. Uh, are you feeling one of the others more? I like the um, whimsy of Closet Ham, but <laughs> I think that uh, Child of the Media is probably a more solid band choice. So it looks like we are putting Child of the Media up as our band name of the week. Let's see how they fare in this tough competition. Corey, I got a question I'm going to ask you. Behold or be gone. So, we talked a little bit about how weird it must be for Son of Satan that Daredevil is using his dad's name and a cartoonish version of an image of his dad to fight crime. Mm-hmm. If you could gain a amped up version of your dad's powers, but you had to dress in an iconic outfit that your dad wears to get those powers. Would you do it, and what would that outfit be? So these powers would be used to stop people from doing bad things? You could use them however you wanted. And do I have to wear the outfit all the time? You have to wear the outfit while you are using those powers. Oh, that's it? I put on the outfit, I can go use them? Yeah, you put on the outfit, then you get the powers. Take off the outfit, you don't have the powers anymore. Hell yes, that is a be gone. I mean, a behold. Okay, well, what is the outfit and what powers do you get? 
the power is to strike fear into the heart of <laughs> anybody by saying, got a minute? Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, that is a pretty good one. So, to use that power, which era of gym outfit are you going with? The one that I'm picturing is his, like, I'm going to say late 90s seemed to be heavily inspired by Sean Connery in the movie Medicine Man. <laughs> Look. <laughs> the big fedora. Sandals with socks. Mm-hmm. Vest with a lot of pockets on it. Mm-hmm. Is that the gym look you're going with? Gosh, I don't, I don't know. I might go more current. Mm. Because nobody will expect it when that really scary God a minute comes out. Because I'm just going to look like a older Portland guy wearing some cargo shorts and some keen athletic sandal shoes. Tight-fitting baseball cap and probably a fleece vest. Yeah. All right. And be like, oh, that looks like a nice older man. But little do they know, you're Dare Jim. <laughs> Got a minute. <laughs> ah! But it's it's tricky, right? Because I only want to use that if somebody's like being a total jerk or I'm mm-hmm. like stopping a robbery or something, which right. is tricky because I'm, it's like, <laughs> do I just carry those cargo shorts around and those keens in a duffel bag? <laughs> do you have to wear them under your everyday outfit all the time? That would be too tempting. <laughs> <laughs> Well, with great power comes great responsibility, Corey. Somebody's parking in front of my house in the spot that I want. Hey, got a minute? Oh, God. They're going to be like, ah! Gone too far. See? You've gone rogue. That's why you can't wear the outfit all the time. It's going to take the astounding powers of Night Bruce to bring you down. (laughs) Because I think I am also giving it a behold. And I'm going to tap into my dad's powers as a longtime soccer coach. Mm. So those powers would be motivational powers. Like, if I clap real loud and call you by your last name, you do better. Mm-hmm. Way to be, Whitney! Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel... Suddenly, like, yeah. yeah. feel pretty empowered. Um, and also Sonic-related powers. Like, I can break your eardrum, because my dad can do that thing where you whistle by putting your fingers in your mouth. Yeah, I never figured that. No, and he can also, like... You know how I can clap really loud? Mm-hmm. My dad can clap even louder. Wow. Also, he's really fast. Really? Yeah, I'm really fast, too. Did mm-hmm. you know I'm really fast? Uh, no. It doesn't come up that often, and not for long periods of time, but I can run really fast for, like, short sprints. Really? Yeah. This one time, I was hanging out with this guy who, I think he played minor league soccer. We were really drunk, and we, uh, we had a race. <laughs> Like, just down the block. Mm-hmm. And uh, he won, but it was really close, and I was wearing wingtips. Wow. Yeah. Pretty good. But I'll be even faster once I'm Night Bruce. And there's a couple of different outfits we can go with. I'm going to go with one kind of incongruous for the powers, but uh, it's my dad's wedding outfit. I just saw this picture of him. He's wearing this, like, powder blue tuxedo with, like, ruffles. And I was like, it's a pretty good outfit. Oh my gosh. We would have so much fun going out and fighting crime. I know! <laughs> Minute Jim and Night Bruce. <laughs> <laughs> Not bad. So, uh, yeah, looks like we got a pair of beholds for conditional dad powers. I like it. Now, Corey, as Minute Jim and Night Bruce, we would be wearing some pretty fancy clothes. 
What other clothes did you notice in this issue? Sartorially speaking, which elements of fashion stood out to you? So, it's not clothes, but it is fabric, and sometimes the domestic trappings of our heroes' environs come up in this category. Wow, do Beast and Vera have a loud apartment. Their couch and their chair are so 70s looking. Yeah, very aggressive floral design on that sofa. And then, I don't even know what's up with that chair, if that is a chair. It's like a hyper-modern kind of chair, maybe? That's paisley, I guess? Yeah, I don't know what else it would be. I think it's one of those chairs that's got, like, the wire frame inside of it. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, the, like, Swedes try to trick us into using to improve our posture. Mm -hmm. You remember those computer chairs that were, like... The kneeling kind? Yeah, the kneeling computer chairs. I use one. Is it good? It seems like a trick. No, it is, because our bodies aren't designed to be at, like, a like the chairs we're sitting in now. Yeah. That's not normal for so our, our bodies. So our body was designed to sit in a way that does not exist in nature? That a Swede was going to invent in the 80s? Yeah, people <laughs> that don't have furniture... Mm-hmm. squat sure like that's a that's a that's a natural thing right yeah. for, for our hips to be at that angle and so sitting in a chair at 90 degrees is is not natural and those kneeling chairs aren't quite at 90 degrees so they're a little bit less so it's it's better on your body to be in that position for longer Corey, you believe that i got a fjord to sell you yeah because you're being you're being duped by swedish con men duped eh <laughs> <laughs> yep Yeah, I did notice the interior design on Beast's apartment. I also noticed, I think it came up when they were in it before, but I think these are perhaps even more distinctive suits that the fake feds are wearing Mm. in this. Just bright, bright secondary colors, and each one a different one. There's a purple-suited guy, there's an orange-suited guy, there's a green-suited guy, and I gotta believe those are not the most effective federal agent costumes Mm -hmm. which again just points to kyle being so easily duped oh boy but yeah that flashback scene where the uh the fake feds are gassing the defenders those guys look real 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 silly and just stick out like a sore thumb and not in a very government official kind of way you very seldom see a government official in a purple suit yeah i wouldn't think we already talked about the business casual centurion outfits when they have the armor off, but they're still wearing togas around the compound. Yeah. That's a kind of funny look. And then, I know we have talked about his outfits before, but uh, August Masters, dressed kind of like the way I remember Herb from WKRP in Cincinnati dressing. Hmm. Just kind of used car salesman-y. Green checked jacket with lime green slacks and a power tie. Pretty solid look, all things considered, I gotta say. Yeah, and even more creepy that he's a genocidal bad guy that's the thing about august masters that i actually really like him as a foil for he is just like smug and smarmy all the way he never feels like he thinks he is in any danger seems very glib kind of unctuous and uh i really fucking hate him yeah it's a good bad guy yeah he mentioned centurions a minute ago there was one bit of accessorizing that seemed incongruous in a funny way and that was Brzozowski? I can't remember which ones, but the guy with the clipboards? Yeah. Like, wait a minute. 
four, five, six, seven. Hey, there's too many of you. Yeah, really driving home the bureaucracy of the situation, having a centurion carrying a clipboard. Pretty funny. In some ways, to me, that was even more incongruous than having them carry the big pink dildo-looking ray guns. Mm -hmm. It's a nicely drawn clipboard. You can actually see the wood grain on it. Oh, yeah. No, it's good. I got a, a nice clipboard here, supplied by you. No. And uh, it feels good. It does feel good to clip things onto a board and write on it. Mm-hmm. So like, I can we see are, where Brzezowski's coming from on that. We are getting things done. We are counting Up our security eight. guards. <laughs> so speaking of math, it turns out I heard from many people that increasing geometrically is very much a thing. <laughs> oh, is it really? Yeah. <laughs> God, we're so smug. <laughs> like, that doesn't sound like a thing. It doesn't sound like a thing. But, yeah, I guess uh, you can increase anything, any kind of math thing. So, sorry if we hurt your feelings. Our level of research will expand... Spherically. Plus-tacularly. Yeah. It's probably a math thing, right? Uh-huh. Apparently, you put math in front of any word, it just means it gets bigger real quick. We are architecturally sorry. <laughs> Yes. For the error. I have calcularific levels of uh-huh. contrition. Yeah. Um, trigonometry. That's a good one. Thanks. Corey, what was your favorite sound effect in this issue? It was a combination of physical fight sounds and laser sounds. Mm. So that's a lot of sound effects. Sure. But the lasers from those uh, aforementioned pink dildo laser guns, all made the same sound, which I like the consistency. Which is Zeet? Zeet! Yeah. Zeet's pretty good. Mm-hmm. So between all the Zeeting, Daredevil was punching people real good, and all of the uh, punching and kicking sounds, they were visceral, like he was hitting somebody and you could like hear their organs thudding uh. in a way. Almost like the big wet punch <laughs> oh. that we talked about yeah. in the past. What was that movie, The, the Raid? Where oh. all of the sound effects in that movie just sounded so wet. Yeah, that was hard to watch in a good way. So yeah, the sounds in this are chud, a thought, and a what. Pretty good. Yeah. I liked those. There also was kind of like the auga of a couple of issues ago. The whoom. The noise isn't great. Like the onomatopoeic quality isn't necessarily super top tier. But the way that that is illustrated on the last page, when the compound is exploding, mm-hmm. it looks really, really cool. And just, yeah, very dramatic. That base being blown off the face of the Earth. And I, I really liked that. I also liked, on page 15, the bash of Kyle getting hit over the head with a blackjack. <laughs> it makes the noise bash. That's a combination of just, like, seeing Steve's face wearing a centurion helmet. Being bopped on the head with a blackjack really out of nowhere when he's like, I'm doing a good job. Mm-hmm. Very satisfying. Yeah. I also really was amused by and don't understand what was making this noise. Bing! <laughs> Bing! Yeah. Where my mind went immediately, I think because of the Centurion outfits, is the film History of the World Part 1. The Mel Brooks thing? Yeah. There's a scene in which Madeline Kahn is going through a lineup of people being very sexy in front of them. And when 
they get boners, it hits their metal armor, and it goes ping! <laughs> and I'm wondering if just like, wow, at least one of those Roman centurions is super into blue furry dudes. Because when Beast is like, here I am, I'm really Beast, there is a loud ping noise, which really does lead me to believe one of those centurions is just getting a big old boner. Wow. Yeah. There's no other explanation for it. Yeah, I, I was amused by the noise for sure, but I didn't put it down because I was like, what is that? Yeah, well, you got to study your history of the world, part one. Mm -hmm. Corey, what was your favorite panel in this issue? Well, we just talked about it, but it was the closet ham reveal with the centurion boner. Ping! <laughs> that sounds like you are describing a very complicated skateboard trick. <laughs> the closet ham reveal uh -huh. into a inverted centurion boner. Yeah, front side, though. It's harder that way. Oh, totally. Yeah. Especially for riding goofy foot. Uh-huh. That was a skateboard word I knew. Yeah, no, that's a good one. Thanks. Yeah. No problem. Yeah, it's a good panel. Bing! Oh, I didn't realize you liked it that much, Corey. <laughs> there were a number of panels that I really liked in this. The opening panel, I thought, is great. I call it Dracula, Steve, because there's just something... Like, I expect him to have fangs in that. It's possible that he's... Just because he's wearing the Dracula collar, but just with the way he's got his mouth open like that, it is a very he-should-have-fangs type of thing. He's got just sweat beating on his forehead, and you see these blue line drawings of Captain America, Nighthawk, Hellcat, Gargoyle, and Valkyrie just floating around his head. And it's just a really cool panel. It is. I got less of a Dracula thing. I get why you would say that, because <laughs> the widow's beak and the collar. But uh, also like a little bit of a Freddie Mercury hitting the high note. Oh, I can see that. Yeah. Oh, man. Freddie Mercury was a Dracula. Whoa. Imagine the glamour he could lay on you. Also, imagine the size and complicatedness of the fake teeth that Rami Malek would have had to wear. Gonna say. Damn. I think my favorite panel, though, maybe, is on page 18, and it is a fight scene. In a lot of the fight scenes, even when they're really well drawn, the, I don't know what to call it other than, like, fight choreography almost of it doesn't come through. But in this one, it looks so cool, and you can see, like, the cool martial arts move that Daredevil is doing as he kicks one centurion with a thawed eludes a Z and delivers a what mm -hmm. to the other guy's tummy with his fist a kick and punch at the same time in different directions it just looks really cool yeah very acrobatic mm -hmm. i did have one other we mentioned the kind of weird way in which kyle's face is depicted in some of the scenes and there's one on page 16 where he's intended to look surprised or shocked but he just he just looks like he just took a giant bong rip and somebody grabbed him and was like, you gotta go to work. <laughs> what? What? <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> like, not even upset about it, but just like, that information is not sinking into my mind <laughs> at all. That is nonsense. Did you just say closet ham? <laughs> Might as well have. Right? That is a very good panel. Like I said, it is a little bit uneven just with the bevy of inkers working on it, but there is some really cool stuff visually in this issue. And overall, I still think Don Perlin is doing a great job with the art as the uh, primary penciler on the title. Yeah, those Centurions are consistent, and their outfits aren't uh, simple. No, 
And there's some, like, cool technology stuff, too. Like, got a line graph there. Mm-hmm. What's that about? Probably about, like, how evil they are. Geometric you know, expansion. Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah, you can tell. All those numbers are expanding at a rate of triangular parabola. Yeah, it's a triang triang it's a quadratic parabola. Yeah, it's the most quadratic one we got. <laughs> <laughs> Math sounds. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Corey, what was your pie not made out of steel in this issue? What words did you like best, much like you would like a pie if it were not made out of steel? As I sometimes do, I have a prosy one and a funny one. Mm-hmm. The funny one we've talked about quite a bit already. It's the closet ham. That just cracked me up. Yeah. But what what leads up to the phrase closet ham is nice too, not just that two-word combo. The whole routine that Beast goes into. You're Kowalski, then heavens to Betsy, who am I? It, it must be like that Twilight Zone episode. I've been wrenched into a parallel dimension where nobody knows me. My identity's been lost. Oh, sob, the ultimate crisis of modern man has befallen me. Hey, what's the matter with you? Ah, oh, nothing really. I'm just a closet ham, that's all. Bing! Bing! <laughs> yeah, and all that with, like, the Kelsey Grammer voice. Oh, totally. Pretty good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm with that centurion. <laughs> Bing! <laughs> Those are some excellent words. It's kind of a simple passage, but I really like how it is done. When August Masters is delivering some exposition. He does his reveal, where he uses basically what I think is just like a garage door opener to show Kyle where his friends are being kept in their psychic-proof snow globe. Mm -hmm. But he holds up the garage door opener, there's a click, and it just says, a button is pushed with a casual arrogance. I just really like the idea of doing something with casual arrogance, and I feel like that is very character-building for August Masters, and that is how he does, like, everything. Very off-handed evil. Yeah, no. Well spotted. My other one was on page eight. It was some exposition. The voice is ice and daggers, and the very sound of it ties Kyle Richmond's stomach in knots. Mm. Ice and daggers. Mm-hmm. Pretty good. Yeah. Goes with the casual arrogance. Mm-hmm. I liked those a lot. I also really, we talked about it already, but the little speech that Steve gives about how great Wong is, mm-hmm. that was nice. Yeah. Corey, we both know that the Hulk rules. But in this issue, what were the Hulk's rules? In this issue, the Hulk has taken a page from Steve's playbook, and it's a little bit of a do as I say, not as I do thing. Hmm. So this comic opens with uh, Steve undergoing a really traumatic psychic attack. Mm-hmm. He's like, ah, it's the worst thing ever. And so that's the Hulk's rules. It's just like, hey, don't let people into your head. And this doesn't have just to do with psychic attacks. I think a lot of us have probably had times in our lives when we've given way too much energy mm. and much of our own brain space to other people who just it couldn't be bothered that we're doing that. Yeah. And that's a damn waste of time. I think it's especially telling that it's not even a psychic attack. It's somebody giving him a psychic message. And I certainly have reacted that way to receiving certain emails. Right. <laughs> just like, ah, just collapse on the floor. Yeah. And it's not like sometimes 
the intention behind it is not there, right? right. And it's our reaction to it that takes so much energy. Mm-hmm. And boy, if you can avoid that, life is maybe going to be a little easier. Mm-hmm. I think that's an excellent lesson for the Hulk to learn, and for really us all to learn. Uh, I had the Hulk learning from what happens with Kyle in this, that uh, self-sacrifice is only noble when it's necessary. Just because something is worth dying for doesn't mean you have to. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, there are things that I believe in or that I care about enough that I would be willing to die for. If my family was in danger, I would rush into a burning house to save them, I like to think. But what I also like to think is that after I had pulled them out of the burning house, I wouldn't just go back into the house to hang out, which is kind of what it seems like Kyle is doing in this situation. Mm-hmm. So just because something is worth dying for, it doesn't mean you have to. Mm-hmm. Don't go making a martyr out of yourself if you don't need to. Good point. Well, the Hulk is a wise man. Yeah? Yeah, okay. he came up with that rule. It's a good rule. Thanks. Mm-hmm. And th- th- that was on behalf of the Hulk. Yeah, yeah, you're came welcome. Up with the rule. You're welcome, the Hulk. He came up with a good rule that he told you about, too. How does this category work? <laughs> These are just things that we observe the Hulk having learned. Mm, okay, yeah. Good job, the Hulk. Mm-hmm. Corey, normally at this point, we would segue into the Wong doings. But we already know what Wong is doing. Yeah, yeah, we know what he was up to, helping his buddy Steve, with the aid of some strong herbs, get over a psychic attack. That's right. We actually see him in this issue and what he is doing, and there's a reason why he earned my nod for best defender. So, uh, you know what? What? To Kyle. Kyle. Rest in peace, bird nose. Mm-hmm. Remember when he used to have that really stupid outfit where it had a real big bird beak on it? Yeah. That was pretty great. Mm-hmm. Remember how he uh, had that big dumb picture of a hawk that the feathers went all the way out to his fingertips on it, on yeah. the chest? Remember I like that. Remember when, uh, when he painted the sign on the front of his house? <laughs> I do. Yeah. Kyle. Spent so much money on an adamantium chair for the Hulk. Oh. Fucking Kyle. Fucking Kyle. Fucking Kyle. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Corey. You're welcome. And thank you for joining us, listeners. Uh, And if you feel like sending in your favorite Kyle memories, that'd be nice. Yeah. Most of my memories of Kyle are of him being terrible, but sometimes he did some dumb stuff that was pretty funny. Mm Mm-hmm. Don't miss that. Me too. If you'd like to get into touch with us, we can be reached at Titan Up the Defense, P.O. Box 20311, Portland, Oregon, 97294. As this is the future, we can also be reached electronically. Can you imagine such a thing? The future really is now. At ttwasteland at gmail.com. We're also up on the socials media. I've been posting some pictures lately from old The Shadow comic books. There's a little while where the Shadow wore a superhero costume because he was written by Jerry Siegel, who did Superman. Those are some weird fucking issues. But I'll probably be saying other things, too. Might just be those panels, though. There was one where a guy named Mr. TNT wrote a message that said, I hate all millionaires. And he tried to blow up Lamont Cranston. That was pretty good. I saw that picture. 
Yeah, it was a pretty good picture, huh? Mm-hmm. It was a picture of a picture. Oh. Geometric. Yeah, man. My mind is being blown subtractionally. But, uh, you know, we'll probably be up on the uh, internet talking about all the math words that we know, and how good we are at math, and, uh, you know, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So you can find us on, you know, the terrible bird-themed website, or the uh, terrible other social media websites, or, you know, seacaptainsonly.com, of course, LinkedIn, Grinder, all the places you would expect to find a podcast about comic books. We'll be there. And if you can't find us there, there's another place you can look. And that's deep inside your heart. Corey, what are you going to be doing inside people's hearts this week? I think we'll continue the fond farewell to Kyle by uh, polishing off a bottle of Irish whiskey. Sounds good. I think maybe that's what I'll be doing, too. Well, I'm not going to drink this thing myself. I appreciate that. Fucking Kyle. Fucking Kyle. If you'd like to support the show monetarily, you can check us out at patreon.com slash ttwasteland. If you do, and you donate, you get access to all kinds of bonus material. There is the monthly podcast, What the Duck, a podcast most foul but with a W, because he's a duck. That's the full name of the show. That is the Howard the Duck podcast that I co-host with my wife, Lisa. We just did our coverage of the final Steve Gerber written issue of Howard the Duck, so that was a whole thing. We've got a few more Howard the Duck issues, and then we're going to move on to a different subject, and we don't know what. So if you want to uh, let us know what you would like to hear, then you know, check us out on Patreon. Hit us up. I also posted a series of eight videos talking about various The Shadow comics. Uh, you can check those out. And there's also just a ton of video reviews of classic comic books up there, some other podcasts that we've done as bonuses for our listeners, and uh, there's just a lot of stuff up there that we have made to thank our donors for supporting the show and keeping it going and keeping me able to buy groceries. So thank you so much for that. I really appreciate it. If you would like to support the show in a non-financial way, Corey, what's a way people can do that? Uh, two main ways come to mind. One is to leave a review for the show wherever you listen to the podcast. is probably a good place. Mm, yeah, that makes sense. Uh-huh. Preferably a review that is a positive one. Sure. You know what I think would be a great review of the show? Huh. If people really, really like it. Like if the show gets them really, really excited. Ping! Exactly. Ah. Ping! Five, Five stars. stars. Yep, there you go. Yeah. To the point. Mm-hmm. Quick, quick to the point. Yep. To the point. No faking. Cooking MCs like a pound of bacon. Um, Burning them. Both quick and nimble. I go crazy when I hear a cymbal. Or a hi-hat with souped-up tempo. They don't need to say all that. You can just say ping. It's time to go solo. Yeah, you're right. They should just say ping. Yeah. Yeah, good call. Uh, Five stars. I guess the other way is to uh, tell anybody in uh, in your network, you know? Everybody in your office. Yeah. Send yeah, a group email. Reply all to an existing group email. Yeah. Or to your HOA or yeah, whatever sure. social group you Or to be. your HOVA if you're friends with Jay-Z. Well, I'm sure he's already listened. Yeah, you're right. Jay-Z already listens. We brought him aboard when we talked about Dune that one time. Yeah, that's right. Harkonnen assassin. Yeah, he's a Harkonnen assassin. Yeah. 
because you know that Jay-Z just does a name search of himself on Google all the time. Well. And he saw that we mentioned that he likes Dune, and he's like, Titan of the Defense? I gotta check that out. That's what Jay-Z sounds like. <laughs> yep. So those are those are things people could do. Yeah, I think that is a great plan. You could tell your office or Jay-Z or your homeowner association. Mm-hmm. Or probably other people, too, but those are the main categories, I think. Mm-hmm. Well, we already we covered neighbors last time. Mm. You could tell gym neighbors. He played Gomer Pyle. Oh. I think he's dead. He, yeah, okay. But you could do a seance. Just tell him about the show. That would be such a weird flex. <laughs> you could hold a seance and talk about the show, I guess. Yeah, hold a seance. Tell dead people about the show. I, I don't know how we would get the them to listen. Did dead people listen to podcasts? Well, there's a lot of podcasts. It's a lot of dead people. So probably. Yeah, you're, you're right. What else are going to do? Yeah, Law of Large Numbers. It's mm-hmm. another math thing. That's yeah. a good one. That sounds legit. I think it is. Oh. Probably. Wow. Yeah. Cosine. Oh, that's a good one. Uh-huh. Secant. Wow. Tangent. Jesus. Infinite line. I don't know these words. If you had been sober during Donald Duck's adventures in Mathematic Land, you would know all of this stuff, Corey. Geometric mean. Okay, now we're talking. You're getting it. Hypotenuse. Mm-hmm. Triangle. Touche, my friend. Oh, that's, Touché. Not, that's not a math word. French people can do math too, Corey. That's not what I said. Grow up. I am grown. Um, <laughs> Rene Descartes. Oh, that's, yeah, he was a mathy guy. Yeah. I mean, his philosophy shit was fucking garbage. But if you're plotting something on an X and Y graph. <laughs> yeah, I'm an evil demon. <laughs> <laughs> that was him, right? But um, he would have said it with a French accent, Corey. So I think what you're looking for is more of a like. Uh, I'm an evil demon. There we go. It. Yeah. He wasn't an evil demon, but he talked about evil demons and philosophy. It's dumb as shit. Man, that would be another example of a guy who was, like, really smart in one thing. You know, coming up with a good graph with an X and a Y axis. Mm-hmm. Math words. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I gotcha. But also just dumb as shit and is like, Man, I could conceive of a perfect God, therefore, there one, one must exist or I couldn't conceive of it. A priori. Yeah. That was his thing, right? I don't know. How is it like you, you know it because it's prior knowledge? Yeah, probably. Fucking Descartes. Man, math, philosophy, how to leave a podcast review. We're teaching so much, Cor. It's. We give. We're givers. Yeah. Bye! Bye. And they knew it. What does DARE stand for again? Drugs are really excellent. (laughs) No, Corey. Drug awareness is really excellent. (laughs) Don't atone. Uh, Don't always uh, rage (laughs) every day. (laughs) (laughs) Don't always rage every day. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. That's what it stands for. It's, just, it's really a moderation. <laughs> right. Only have ragers on Saturday. 
Yeah, keep it on the weekend, guys. That was the main thrust of every D.A.R.E. lecture, right? Yep. Mm -hmm. Police officer comes in and is like, All right, kids. Keep it on the weekends. Come on. It's Tuesday. You're going downtown. (laughs) Oh, so he would arrest you if you weren't in moderation. Wait, it was strict. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It was strict. Mm. Drug awareness. Drug awareness. Readiness education. Red Man's excellent. (laughs) Yeah, Red Man is excellent, but I don't think that would be the stance that Dare would take. No. They liked Method Man better in the movie. (laughs) They they, they were more of a better He had a better line in that movie where he holds up the the joint to the lady and says, peer pressure, peer pressure, peer pressure. (laughs) It's a good line. It's pretty good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 